Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome to the Farm Slice Podcast, where we talk everything agribusiness. Whether you're a first-time listener or you've tuned in over the last few months, we've loved having you along for the ride. This week's podcast, you're in for a treat with Tony Barton from Barton Small Goods based in Victoria. She's wrangled with the best of them on Wall Street and has now found her passion in the red meat industry and in particular, discovering lamb bacon from off. Within a few short years, she's done a lot of research, marketing and selling. So you might have to wait until you can get your hands on some. Let's get into it. G'day Tony, excellent to have you on the podcast today. How's everything going down your way? Yeah, well, it's certainly got its challenges, but there's always some silver linings, Jack. So um, plenty of opportunities too. Dealing with the pandemic, especially can, I imagine? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've got two arms of my business. I've got the fresh meat business, which is doing incredibly well domestically. And then there's the export business, which is has had its challenges, but I'm confident that we'll get through those. Absolutely. Well, it's excellent to have you on the show. Before we get down into it, can you tell us a bit about your personal story, your connection to ag and how it's led you to where you are today? Yeah, no problem. Um, when I was quite young, my parents were dairy farmers and um, I did spend some time on the dairy farm sort of in the early teenage years and uh, before I went off to university. And my dad actually said to us, you know, would you like to take over the family farm? And my response uh, was absolutely not. There was no way I wanted to be a dairy farmer. Um, that looked like work, a lot of hard, hard work. And um, at that time, and, it, and particularly at that age, I was astounded that the amount of work that my parents did was not necessarily uh, valued. It was always based on the market value of the milk price is what they got paid. And it, to me, it seemed illogical, even though it was the system that we're operating in. So. Um, I left the family farm there and went off to university and followed a career in marketing 
and financial services. And I spent 17 years doing that sort of work. But when I was about 32 years old, I got this bug in my system. I just needed to have some land. I just really wanted to be able to grow my own food. And um, I wanted to buy five acres of property so that I could have my weekend um, feet clearly on the earth and feel grounded with the with the earth and instead of buying five acres I bought 200 acres so the game plan changed. A great start into like what you're building out today and then through that connection how have you gotten into where you are today with your lamb bacon the most exciting yeah so um yeah well it's actually it's a bizarre story because I have no experience at all with sheep. Um, I've only got had a, a minimal experience with, um, with dairy farming. And, um, but I knew that's not something I wanted to do. And I certainly didn't want to deal with cows. Um, being a female farmer on my own, it wasn't um, you know, foreseeable for me to manage a herd of cows. They're just so big. And, um, and I, was, I felt that was a safety issue for me. Um, whereas sheep, I thought, well, they could be a bit more manageable. Um, so I embarked on this journey of trying to find what sort of stock I was going to hold on the farm. I did speak to a lot of uh, older farmers in my area um, where I purchased my farm and the resounding response was sheep. Um, most of the farmers around here do merinos. Um, but for me, shearing and running thousands of acres was certainly not an option either. So I had 200 acres. And I really needed to make that 200 acres work for me. Um, so to be a sustainable model. Um, and again, because of that history with my parents looking at, you know, regardless of the hours and effort you put into it, the, the market prices determine your, your check at the end of the month. And so I didn't want to follow that path. I needed to sort of break the system um, and certainly trail blazing that way through where I guess I was lucky to have a farming background and also my marketing business finance background, I was able to read numbers and work out, well, what do I need to achieve on this farm? So the you lost me. Yeah, we might, do you just want to remove the video? And lost you, Jeff. Yeah, I have to remove the video. Yeah. Sorry. video there we are so you can still hear me now yep that's perfect okay great where was i um just take off again from this not want to try and remember where i was oh yeah so with my marketing background and background i was able to do some modeling and it was very clear to that every animal that left my farm needed to be value added to the absolute maximum to make sure 200 acres work for myself and a price taker i had to be a price maker so that started the journey on looking at the quality of the um the breed that i was going to use in terms of meat sheep um i needed an animal that was going to be very low maintenance um, and my grandfather actually found an article in the Weekly Times about this breed, Australian Whites, and that was back in 2013. So I got hold of the breeder, uh, Graham Gilmore, and we had a chat, and I then started off with my first 40, uh, 40 ewes and started to grow from there. 
when I first started seeing the carcasses and I knew nothing about sheep apart from the fact that I liked lamb meat and they had four legs. I didn't know anything else really about sheep. So I've been very lucky in terms of the uh, local support. So the local butcher was you know, happy to show breaking down carcasses and learning about different cuts and evaluating as much cuts as I can. And um, then I started thinking, well, how am I going to distribute this product so I can be a price maker? Um, and the, the answer to me was I had to own the distribution channel and own the end customer and be in charge of that customer relationship. So because of the marketing background, I think it was really easy for me to sort of, to go into that whole brand development and, and sharing a story about my farm and my practices and really you know, talking customers through the value adding of the cuts. For example, my lamb necks, I cut them like Osso Buco and I sell them at $21.99 a kilo. Um, they are one of the best sellers of my entire carcass um, in terms of the raw meat product because once you teach people how to use them, use it and cook with it, um, it's actually one of the most delicious meats of the entire carcass. So it's all about educating, but you can't educate without building that trust and you can't build the trust without letting people into your story a little bit. So. Um, you know, I had to be prepared to start sharing my journey with my customers. So before long, um, I was actually started, rather than looking at my animals as, you know, the sale yard price of, you know, $150, I was looking at a farmer's market price of $350. So it was very much worth the effort of going through. It meant that I was getting paid a fair price. My butcher was being paid and the team at the abattoirs were being paid. So, um, and I was still earning and profiting more than I would if I'd sold through the, uh, through the sale yards. But one of the biggest challenges I had was this lamb flap. Um, I, it's the lamb belly, it's part of the rib cage. There's only so many ribbets that you can cut and sell. And it's not exactly a year round type of product that people want to slow cook lamb ribs and, and barbecue them. So. I was forever perplexed about what to do with this lamb flap. And I asked around the neighbors, what do you do with this piece of meat? You know, the butcher said, make some sausages. And that to me, you know, it was, you can only make so many sausages. My neighbors said, there's nothing you can do with it, Tone. It's just dog food. Um, so I was like, right, well, I'd make my sausages. I'd do the rivets. And after that, the rest sort of went off to my neighbors for pet food. Um, and then one day, uh, four and a half years ago, I wondered why you couldn't make this same product as a pork belly into bacon using the same artisan old school methods of curing and preserving and smoking. So that really started that whole journey of, it was all around value adding and avoiding waste. I think that's like excellent. You make the most of everything that you've got um, using all the different cuts and like innovating on that. How, how long was the process of finding like lamb bacon? Did it take a lot of trial and error or just working with the right people? Well, I think I was lucky. So at the time I was sponsoring a pitmasters team um, and they do a lot of low and slow cooking and, you know, smoking meats. And so I gave one of my uh, a few lamb flaps to one of the guys in the competition team. And I said to him, because he was actually making pork bacon at the time, I said, can you just put this into the same 
you know, same process and see where, how it comes back. And um, that took about seven days for the first batch to come back. And I tried it and it was just like, I was blown away. It was just absolutely amazing. It was better than pork bacon as far as I was concerned. And so, um, but sometimes you can be a bit biased. So, you know, again, from the marketing background, consumer insights are really critical. So I did two things. Immediately, I went straight to some chefs that I knew and asked them to try it. Um, and again, they were completely blown away um, by the balance, the flavor, the sweetness, the smoky, the salty. It was just this perfect balanced product. And, um, and never had they ever experienced anything like it before. So, Does it, does it cook completely yeah. different to like pork bacon? Well, depends. Like traditionally, like the way um, Australians cook our bacon, we sort of throw it into a hot frying pan, like as pork bacon with some oil and things. Yeah. Um, the American way of cooking bacon is, you know, usually in an oven. Um, and if you're cooking a lamb bacon in an oven, it'll work exactly the same. But in a frying pan, you do need to start from a cold frying pan and you don't use any oils or fats added into it. So um, the... I guess in a way it is cooking it the same. You utilize it in the same way. So for breakfast, lunch and dinner, wherever you'd use pork bacon, you can use lamb bacon. Um, it's just as complimentary. And um, I guess the benefit of the lamb bacon is there's no rind. So, and because I don't pump my product with brine, you don't get that boiled kind of meat experience or really, you know, it's spitting meat out of the frying pan, spitting fat out of the frying pan experience. So it's a very clean cook. Um, and I always encourage customers to save the fat in the bottom of the pan for um, lamb, bacon, fat, potatoes, roasted potatoes next time they're cooking a roast. So it is a very similar process. The beauty about the lamb bacon too, and what I find is a huge winner is that it goes crispy every single time. And um, a lot of people are seeking that crispy bacon experience rather than, I think it's sometimes it's difficult to get that every time with pork bacon. Yeah, of course. Well, it sounds like it's, you're onto a winner there with the lamb bacon. In agriculture, it's excellent to like collaborate with organisations as such. Have you or who have you worked with like to get this off the ground and to like, research a bit more about it? Yeah, so um, I guess I was very uh, short-sighted in a way. I was just looking at evaluating, you know, the animals that left my property. Um, but Meat and Livestock Australia came across me when I was doing um, an ag accelerator course for food innovators. And me and Livestock Australia were very impressed by just the fact that I was value adding the entire carcass by turning some of it into small goods. So they funded some more research in terms of, well, what if you turn the whole carcass into small goods? So lamb prosciutto, lamb ham, lamb bacon, lamb lonza, you know, all the different styles of small goods, but in lamb. So um, that was the very first project I ever did with, the, with Meat and Livestock Australia. And the results came back phenomenal. Like I'm talking like $1,200 value added to a carcass. So um, that was the first time that Meat and Livestock Australia had experienced such a huge value add on a typical lamb carcass. Um, it's not something that had really been done before. So they um, then worked with me on the second, much bigger phase of the program and testing markets. So not just necessarily Australian domestic markets, but international markets. 
Um, so they worked with me very closely at developing um, some test projects to test the Middle East market in terms of launching a full lamb small goods product range into hotels and retailers over there. So without their support and assistance, I don't think I would have got as far as I have now um, without it. So. so with like the button small goods, you're sort of chasing the fine diners, the higher end of the consumers? Yeah, definitely. The way, because this, the beauty about this product is that currently no one else in the world is making these products commercially. So the the artisan handcrafted, the story of the provenance coming from a, um, a, a small country, you know, rolling hills in central Victoria, clean, beautiful, you know, clean air, green hills. Um, it is very much a high-end uh, pitch in terms of Barton Small Goods. Um, certainly looking at that mass production space would mean that there would have to be some serious changes to the way the product is made, which I believe would have an impact on the out, the, the overall outcome of the product. Um, certainly something that is on the cards, maybe looking at a sub-brand for more mass market, um, mass consumer type of product, but certainly at this stage being the only one in the market and having this beautiful story of provenance, um, high-end uh, hotels, hotel chains and retailers are certainly the, the current space. Um, and then we'll look at the alternate space later on. Well, you would get the most value from the higher end of the market, wouldn't you? Sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's much of a smaller space to play in, um, but solidifying yourself as, you know, a high-end uh, producer of, you know, artisan small goods, particularly lamb and halal small goods, I think is a space that I, I've decided that I want to own. So um, a very, straight off the bat, the word lamb bacon couldn't, um, couldn't be approved for halal and wouldn't be allowed in Saudi or Kuwait or even Dubai as a product name. So you know, to change the name to lamb rashes was one of the very first things I had to do. So I really am reacting to market requirements as well as my own desire to where I see this product fit. Um, I mean, the product sells for nearly $97 a kilo. This is the lamb bacon. So um, I'm sure there's listeners out there thinking, hang on a second, that lamb flap I just gave to my dog for dinner um, yeah. is worth a lot more than I thought. So um, certainly um, looking at value adding and, and again, being the first mover advantage is um, certainly helping me to to command those prices, but they won't be sustainable forever. I'm very aware of that. So strike while the iron's hot. Absolutely. Well, it's a huge like shift for yourself and also for the consumer. Remember when the lamb shank used to be fed to the dogs as well, and now they're on everyone's dinner plate. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, I get this comment frequently at farmers markets because that is, um, you know, my current bread and butter. Each weekend, I sell my fresh meat at farmers markets, and um, I'm slowly turning them over to um, to lamb necks because I think lamb necks are significantly better than lamb shanks. And um, but yeah, the price of lamb shanks, no, mine are twenty one ninety nine a kilo, so they're around seven fifty to eight dollars per shank, and. Um, you know, there's, there's customers out there who, who do respond to me and say, I used to feed these to my dog. I can't believe it. Um, so, but that is good for farmers that the value of lamb is actually being recognised. I think it's really important that the whole carcass is valued, not just certain cuts that are valued because 
the same amount of effort goes into growing a shank than does a cutlet. So, um, you know, farmers that want to do grass-fed, organic or chemical-free, free-range stock, they the whole animal needs to be valued, I think. And that's really important message that I instill into my customers as well. So it's not just about buying six cutlets, it's about buying six cutlets and two shanks or a kilo of necks so that you're, you know, you're valuing the entire animal. Yeah, definitely. I think it adds a lot to like the lamb industry as itself. And then like, not just within lamb, we're trying to minimize waste and very add through that, like what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, you know, I look at the a cow, I mean, I don't know a lot about, um, you know, the beef industry, so I don't want to speak out of term, but I always think, you know, for customers who are buying only eye fillets, they should also be buying at least three or four kilos of mince and, and other stew cuts to value the entire carcass. And, um, and that's the sort of, I guess, on a much smaller scale, that's what I'm instilling into my customers as well. And, um, and to be honest with you, I'm, I've got a really good following now from my customers. And when I have sold out of cutlets, they will then buy the shanks if I've, that's all I've got left or shoulder chops or what else, because I understand there's no value in me walking home with just, you know, a bag full of shanks and I've sold everything else because that doesn't help me as a farmer to do my job the way they want their product raised. So um, what I'm very also very happy to do is that um, I've actually been able to bring on other farmers who are breeding Australian whites. Um, and so now I've got four farmers that assist me with my supply, um, not just for domestic, but also for export as well. So I'm able to give them a higher price for their animal than what they would get in the market, which then recognises the, you know, the effort that they're going to as farmers and the commitments that they're making. And, you know, and I really do want to keep that, um, that growing as well. Yeah, definitely. That just goes back into working collaboratively with like different farmer groups. You see that in different pockets throughout Australia. And I think it's excellent to build up your brand, but also to like build the industry as a whole. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I don't want to be a, a cowboy in that sense. I think, um, you know, if I can help all producers earn better than or be price makers or rather than being just price takers, um, I think that is exactly where we should be. Um, you know, I still think back to my parents and, and wonder, you know, the stress of, they must have been feeling each month about whether or not the market price is going to make ends meet or not. Um, and I just, you know, if I can live in my world without that stress and, and I can share that to others, then I would encourage it. And in fact, um, you know, even my, even my mutton ewes, um, they are not sold at the abattoirs or sale yards. I process them and I make them, I slow cook them for, 12 hours and then I add vegetables and then I make these beautiful family pies. Um, they're called shepherd's pies. And um, I return nearly $700 off a of mutton ewe of selling, turning it into pies and selling it as meat pies. And these pies are so much in demand. I'm actually feel like I should be a pie maker rather than a farmer sometimes, but um, I only make those when I'm, you know, when I'm unloading some of my, my older ewes and same with my farmer group as well. So when they're selling their older ewes, rather than getting $100 a head or $80 a head at the abattoirs, I can now offer them a much better price than what they would normally get. So, uh, and that's because I'm able to then evaluate them into pies. So, um, 
it does sound a bit weird, mutton pies, but they are absolutely delicious. They're beautiful. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind one actually. I think like your... <laughs> well, I'll save you one, Jack. <laughs> Sounds good. I think like you're kicking off the conversation a lot for people like land producers, mutton producers, and whatnot about what they can do themselves to value add for like the cut. I'm not like I don't really know too much about licensing or whatever, but you can't like license it or patent it like a. Yeah, look, that was the one of the challenges I first um, came across. I mean, it's like trying to patent, you know, making pork bacon. It's it's not it's not something you can do. It's a recipe and it's a process. Um, certainly, the recipe I hold fairly close to my heart, but that is it's not rocket science. My recipe. So ultimately, the only space that I could provide myself was. Uh, first mover advantage and going as quick as I could into these markets and establishing myself as a, as a well-known brand. So. Yeah, I think you've done an excellent job of that. Looking at the bartonsmallgoods.com. Um, Thank you. It's excellently branded. How, how did you get your branding done for this? Was this your marketing expertise? Yeah, look, um, they say that mechanics have got the worst cars and carpenters have got the worst houses. I think sometimes marketers have the worst marketing strategies. So this is something that um, I've outsourced. It's not, um, it's not something, I mean, certainly the, the, the direction of it is uh, certainly from, from my own um, ideas, but the, the development really has to be outsourced because um, and I've always said this, farmers are really good farmers. They can't also be very good marketers because there's only so many hours in the day. And I think both of them could easily be full-time jobs. So um, it's something that you do need to think about. What are you good at doing? What do you really like doing? Um, and where's your time better spent? And, um, and developing brand um, is something that I think needs more than just my own mind um, because it is, you know, you do really need to consider that as a, as a, um, what's the customer need, not just what you want your picture to look like, so to speak. So um, I'm probably best at building fences, being a farmer and, you know, developing new products and flavors. That's probably where my strength is. And um, I'm quite happy to, to stay on those strengths at the moment. Yeah. Well, I think it's working excellently for you. Is there any new projects coming up? Any new cuts you've got in mind? Yeah, definitely. So um, one of the biggest challenges going into the Middle East market was that they, you know, they want to put your, your product on the shelf, but just putting one, um, one product on the shelf is probably a bit limiting, not only to my success, but to the retail success. So the, they've come back and they're wanting new products straight away. Um, before I've even landed, you know, on these shelves, they want to put a suite of products on the shelf. So um, I've actually now developed um, a couple of different flavor, um, uh, like lamb hams. So um, I've got a grandma's ham, which is sweet, like your grandma. And I've got um, a grandpa's ham, which is like a, as a spicy kind of feisty, um, like your grandpa should be, I guess. So <laughs> because I'm limited by, I can't use the word lamb ham over there. So I needed to sort of start bringing these little stories into the products um, so that um, it kind of fitted well with the word Barton's as well, because it's a family name and a family sort of business structure. Um, so I've got those two on the go and I've got some lamb Lonza, which is, um, it's an air cured product and it's, it's air cured for 90 days and it's, um, it is melting your mouth and it's you know, one of the biggest challenges. How's that lamb fat work on the palate? But 
the way the salt breaks it down, it literally just melts in your mouth. It's this beautiful cured product. Um, and I've actually been asked to go into other products, like other proteins. So consider some pastrami's and some mortadellas, which I'm, you know, really looking at how I'm going to manage all of that as well. So yeah, there's about seven new products coming up in the in the new new year, 2021. Well, so it's keeping you busy. It's good to see <laughs> like you're not always just looking for the lamb bacon, and then you are building out your products for sure. Yeah, I think, again, it's one of those things, you, you know, you can't really rest on your laurels, even though lamb bacon's not fully established in the market. Um, you know, if people are liking that from that product range, they're going to want more straight away. What else has you got? What else has she got? So, um, you know, you sort of have to be working very busily behind the scenes, even though maybe from the front, it looks like you're being a bit casual about it. But um, it's all part of strategy, you know, really developing strategies is absolutely critical to um, and being able to revise those strategies when things like pandemics happen and being, you know, agile and being able to take advantage of little opportunities here and there. Definitely. And just keeping that momentum going on. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, my export business virtually um, halted overnight because uh, when Kuwait and Saudi and Dubai closed their borders um, and then not long after Australia did, you know, sort of, I had this, facility with $8,000 overheads a month, you know, what am I going to do with this facility as export accredited and can't produce anything really. So that's when I just sort of went into product development. I thought, well, I might as well use the space for that for the few months. So, um, and that's obviously going to pay off handsomely in the future as well, which is good. Yeah. It's huge learning curve for you. Um, and probably shifted you into doing a bit more development earlier on and then rather thinking about it later. Yeah, and that's what I said at the start in terms of silver lining. You know, you've got to, um, sometimes it's good to step back and question, well, why am I doing this? And is this part of the big picture? Is it still delivering the overall objective? I mean, when I first thought of the word lamb bacon, the very next thing that came out of my mouth was, I'm going to sell this business. I'm going to make it a saleable business. It was never something that um, I thought, well, I'll make it and just be making lamb small goods until I'm 60. Um, it was really, right, I've got this idea. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to wrap it up in a nice little pretty bow and sell the whole business off, um, which is really good for me because I sort of started with the end in mind. And um, so I was able to really think, well, every decision I've made, is this adding value to the business or is this being a distraction to achieving the overall objective um, and again keeping it very separate from my farm business which is you know what I want to do I want to stay on the farm so absolutely well I think you're very like clear mind and focused on what you want to do and I take my hat off too for like innovating the sheep industry a bit and sparing a few people on yeah, lo yeah um, love what you're doing thank you thank you so much and I absolutely encourage anyone who's doing um you know producing a, to, to consider evaluating at the farm gate there is plenty of um smokehouses or small good manufacturers or other food manufacturing companies right now that would be looking to make some money maybe doing some contract manufacturing because you know where the whole world has changed now so if you've got an idea to make an additional product whether it's meat pies or um brisola or anything like that um 
just ask around and try and get someone to make some prototypes for you and, and start trialing them and get in contact with Meat Livestock Australia. They're very happy to, to you know, support producers who want to do innovative ideas for sure. It doesn't have to just be in food, of course, but that's where I'm from. Yeah, precisely. I think like for working with MLA or other boards as such, it's important to know that they are there. Some people may not use them to their advantage. Yeah, and I think um, I didn't even know that I was even eligible for these, but if you're processing animals at a at an abattoirs or selling them to an abattoirs, then you pay a levy each time your animal's processed and that levy automatically uh, entitles you to an MLA, Meat and Livestock Australia membership. And as a member, you can access these products um, or these co-marketing funds. There's quite... They're very, very supportive of producers and, and they, you know, they really want to see producers innovate um, and they are a great springboard into the export market as well because they have staff all over the world who can bring back information for you or can support you when you get over there and get your feet on the ground. So um, it takes away that overwhelming thought about, well, how am I going to even market my product over there? How am I even going to sell my product i don't even know what local customs are like you know they can break down all those barriers for you yeah absolutely and just give you those solid foundations to kick it all off of course yeah absolutely and when you're not there they can continue on with your story as well because they you know they're obviously wanting to promote australian producers in their regions as well so and they keep some momentum going yeah definitely keeping everything australian such as yourself 100 percent australian yeah. land yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, given there's a, a, I've shown a lot of the, my Middle East customers my fresh, my raw meat product because it's quite marbled and and they're very keen to access the Australian white meat um, over there for sure. But um, the, the market here in Australia is certainly not um, big enough to, I think, would wipe out the entire stock of the Australian whites in one export order, I think, at this stage. But um yeah, hopefully soon we can start getting some really nice um, fresh meat over to the Middle East soon too. Absolutely. Keep that supply up. For yeah. looking for my next breakfast tomorrow, how can I actually get my hands on some Barton small goods? Yeah, okay. Very good question. So at the moment, we're in a severe, severe backlog of orders. Um, I have just in the process of moving my facility to a more, um, I guess, efficient um, and growth opportunity um, sized um, uh, smokehouse. So I pulled out of one and I'm about to move into the other and I thought maybe four weeks would be enough time to have a bit of a, you know, maybe a bit of a break from production. Um, but with COVID, my online sales went through the roof. So right at this very minute, you can't access the product anywhere in the world. Um, but you can certainly um, access it within about a month. So um, certainly keep an eye on Barton Small Goods to, um, to see the new retailers coming on board and new restaurants across Australia. And obviously the online sales will come back on, on board as soon as we are ready to as well. So not the best time to be um, moving facilities or having you know, less stock, but these things, uh, you know, scarcity creates excitement, I think sometimes too. So. It's all part of the strategy, Jack. Yeah, definitely. So you just have to hold out a month or two, um, but yep. keep watching on the story of Barton Small Food, Small Goods. Yes. Yep. 
we'll be back on uh, back on stock in no time. So, uh, and after we've served all the backlog of orders as well. So, but we've got, you know, luckily um, we've got some pretty amazingly patient customers. So they've waited two weeks, another four is not going to, to end their day. So they'll be all right. That's it. Now, one of the questions that I ask like all my podcast guests is, who would you like to hear on the podcast and why? You could be within your industry. Well, um, I think that uh, Graham Gilmore, now he's um, he's one of the, the lead developer of the Breed Australian Whites. And I know that he's just started exporting um, a brand into the US. And I think that he would be a fascinating person to to have a chat to. He's, um, he's, a, he's a good guy and he's, uh, he's a farmer first and um now he's sort of thrust into this space of this you know amazing australian white breed and uh, i think it'd be really good to to have a chat to him and for people to get an insight into what he's doing and how he's doing it yeah definitely we can head over to the oberon country a bit colder over there but I'll have to get in touch yeah it is it might be a bit of snow recently at this stage yeah no i couldn't believe that but <laughs> it's excellent to have you on the show today tony really innovating the industry but also your own products and that value adding is excellent for for yourself and also the industry. Thanks, Jack. It's been really nice to um, to recap on my last few years. It's a bit of inspiration for my own self as well. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll keep in touch down the track and see where you are in one to two years. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our 20th episode. Tony is full of energy and enthusiasm for growing her agribusiness and I can't wait to see her products evolve and transform the way we consume land. Catch the show notes at farmsadvice.com.au and visit our social media for further motivation. Next week, we're very adding beef, so stay tuned. Cheers. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.